0: Hello, and welcome back to the Legendary and Green Team. Today, Hiran, uh, Dusty, and I will be talking with Philip Chase, author of the Way of Dan series. Uh,
1: Philip, welcome back. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here a whole lot. I had a great time last time when we talked about the Way of Dan, and I'm very excited to talk about Book 2, The Prophet of Edan, with the three of you
0: yeah just in time for like the third book to get a release date.
1: <laughs> yeah pretty soon yeah it's uh september twenty first is the release for book three and I've you know uh, counting the days down i guess um but uh you know it's 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 really fun uh, it doesn't really matter to me when I get to talk with with people like you about these books and and it's just a lot of fun for me so i I really appreciate it
0: yes i it's it's so much fun talking with you and might I just say, uh, none of these covers have missed so far for me. I love the coloring on them, especially. Yeah, that thank is you. something Yeah, yeah. It's yeah.
1: A, you know they're they're imitations of stained glass windows, and stained glass is all about color. And so that's wonderful that to hear you say that. That is the whole you know idea behind that is one that it's kind of eye catching. I hope that uh, you see the vivid colors there and number two obviously we're talking about a trilogy that features a holy war and religion is very important in the trilogy so having stained glass windows as the covers that made sense you know it 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 creates a kind of a religious tone if you will uh uh, that perhaps people will pick up on when they see those covers but yeah I'm, i'm
2: glad that uh you've liked the covers was the stained glass your idea or the cover artist?
1: It actually was my idea. And I asked the cover artist and the cover designer, hey, can we do stained glass windows? And they were like, sure. Um, and there's, I'm actually going to do a video with my cover designer, who is also the same person who did the map um, for me. That's Jack Shepherd. And we're going to go over how he did the covers and and other things um we did a video already on the maps that's on my channel um which was a lot of fun because i just i'm kind of a, a map nerd uh, i'm sure a lot of people who read fantasy are are fans of maps <laughs> so that was a
2: great video it was a really good insight into you know like fantasy map making
1: yeah yeah when mm-hmm. he's jack has actually made a, a really cool first law map uh, which, uh, you know, if, you've, if you're a fan of First Law from back in the day, you know that originally there was no map for the First Law trilogy, which was, you know, personally, I wanted a map so badly. And it was one of the Joe Abercrombie, you know, being uh, contrary or whatever, not giving us a map. And, uh, and so gradually a pieces of, I think, of a map emerged. And Jack sort of took these pieces and, and created this really wonderful map uh, for the first law trilogy and so yeah i'm I, and he i think it's available now people want to buy it and stuff um
2: but yeah very cool yeah is thought this was a good time to show off my maps oh i i want to see your maps uh i've got uh well it's there's quantali
1: oh nice <laughs> i didn't make
2: these i, I bought it well, you
1: bought it okay um, i was just about to ask okay i
2: don't it. make maps i'm not creative but here's one of seven cities
1: oh that is lovely that's like a scroll oh nice nice. Oh. I
0: desperately want Steve to to sell his maps. <laughs> yeah. Like large scale printings of the ones he has cuz he showed them to us for one of his episodes on, on one of our uh, one of our episodes with him and they're they're beautiful. I, I guess he did them all himself and that's
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jack is going to be in addition to selling his first law map, he's going to be selling Eormenland maps. So, if oh. anyone listening wants a map of the world that i that i created uh then they're going to be available from jack uh he's he's tall shepherd on uh twitter and you can find him that way tall shepherd um but yeah jack shepherd is his name you probably could find him that way too but yeah okay uh, oh
2: how did you choose the name norman lund
1: so this is you're gonna make me nerd out here um i, I, I want that's good.
2: why we brought you Okay.
1: <laughs> so Jormun in Old English is a cognate with the uh, part of the name of the Midgard Serpent, which is Jormungand. And that just means Jormun <laughs> in both languages, Old Norse and in Old, Old English, simply means vast, something like mm. big, you know? So I thought Jormunland is like it's the name that the the uh, The peoples in my world who are inspired by uh, Germanic cultures, whether they be Old English, Old Norse, or just like Proto-Germanic, it's the name that they came up with for this continent when they first came because they came from a bunch of tiny islands and icy places and stuff like that. So then they were like, whoa, look at all this land. Jorbenland, right? Um, So that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah,
0: That's really cool. I really yeah i that. mean
1: there there's a lot of old english and old norse and even some welsh and and nepali little little winks here and there um that <laughs> i have fun with like there's the river Ea, which goes by uh Torhel. it actually in old english Ea simply means river so it's like the river river you know huh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that happens in second languages all the time it's yeah. like uh the rivers here would be like Edogawa, and gawa just means river so yep. when people say Edo Gawa River, it just means Edo River River. <laughs> <It>, like that's, <laughs> that's true for almost any time that you put something into another language. Yep. It yep. Maybe, maybe well half probably half the time.
1: Yeah. So I had fun with the you know the 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 names of places and things like that. Um, I think we talked about where I got Day Raven last time we chatted. Yes. I, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. I hear you're talking to the uh, the green uh, the legendarium about Beowulf
1: that is correct yeah i'm very excited for that discussion we are going to be chatting about beowulf and i i know that uh tolkien is of course is an important figure for the legendarium and and so uh tolkien was very 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 inspired by beowulf and wrote one of the most important essays ever, maybe the most important essay ever on Beowulf, which is Beowulf, the Monsters and the Critics, uh, which really did change Beowulf scholarship uh, for the better in, in many ways. So yeah, it's going to be great. I'm really excited for that discussion. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, now we're on the topic of language. Um, I know you listened to our episode. We got, we got some notes from, uh, from Panda, so Thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. But I just want to say thank you For writing language in a very believable way, I said this in the episode. And whenever I'm reading a book, it's always something that kind of bothers me. In that, I think uh, most authors only think in English or whatever language they're writing in, and they don't consider like coming at things from a second or a third language perspective. And they Mm -hmm. don't consider, you know. the origin of words. Well, I guess some do, but they don't consider how might how difficult or how impossible it is to understand a second language or translating between two languages. Or they have like the uh, the common tongue, which always kind of drives me a little crazy. <laughs> <Especially> <laughs> that, yeah, you know? I, mean, I know that there are common tongues, but like it's not like everybody knows this, and it's usually my traders, my, my traders or something. But it's just a, a a very convenient way, and I don't think that you did that. And thank you
1: oh well thanks very much yeah i do have the northern tongue which is the uh, kind of the language of trade in in jormenland but yes i love languages and i speak a, a few not none of them very well except for english i guess um but i i do i'm fascinated by Language acquisition, and there is a certain scene we're doing spoilers now, right? Or, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah go for yeah. it. Let's
0: do all stories. So, wait, yeah, wait,
1: wait. There's, there's hey, a scene... if
2: you listen... Sorry, go Sorry. I just wanted to say if anyone's listening to this without having read the book, read the book, it's really good. Yeah, uh, sorry, read go ahead,
0: absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <read
1: it. laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks very much. Um, yeah, so it's not really a big spoiler anyway, uh, it's just a scene where dayraven is learning high andumaic uh, which mm-hmm. is uh, a scholarly old form of andumaic which uh is a lot of important manuscripts are written in a lot of histories stuff about magic etc it's not the language of magic it's just this older form of andumaic and he's being taught by Saquara, and she's trying to teach him the different ways to say you and there are four different ways to say you in Andúmäic in high Andúmäic, and he's like what what what's the difference you know (laughs) he's kind of he's a, a little bit uh befuddled um because of all these different you know gradations of levels of formality and yet it's funny because the 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 most the least formal of them can be both affectionate and it can be an insult you know, so it's just mm. kind of these, all these little subtleties and and things like that. Um, and I did base that on Nepali, which has four forms of you. Um, so yeah,
2: I, I thought you might because a lot of especially Asian languages like uh, Japanese, yeah. they have so there's there's almost no here second and uh, second person pronoun. Sorry, third person pronouns are not really a thing. They don't uh-huh. use them very much um Interesting. we technically have them but it's not common to use in spoken language mm. um but there are so 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 many second and first person pronouns mm. and they all yeah. and like exactly like you said like uh some of the the lowest level i suppose it could be used like with friendly terms with people you love like family but if you use it outside of that then it's incredibly insulting
1: wow huh yeah that's pretty much the same
3: nepali and uh and japanese also have it where you kind of have to guess the age so when i'm talking to like an older man (laughs) or older woman i have to kind of guess the age to use the correct pronoun and (laughs) that is so bad at it
1: yeah yeah so if you're talking to someone who's older than you you need to use a more formal second person if you're talking to someone who's younger than you are you can use an, an informal one but and if they look roughly the same age you know you want to go err on the side of a little more formal i think is is the sort of the general mm. thing but yeah but is
3: there only one for someone older than you because there's three different ones for someone older depending on if they're like an older brother they're like an older uncle or like your grandpa's age
1: yeah no i'd say there are two at least um that are for someone okay. who's older than you one that is very formal and respectful and then one that is just everyday formal and respectful
2: um so cool yeah here age ages is is important not as important as most i think other uh like confucius inspired countries uh but more it's like mm, just social standings so to speak like teachers or doctors or bosses and that kind of thing but of course if someone's like really old you still just be really polite but i think either way you're just kind of polite to everybody you don't know anybody anyway
0: for sure uh, you might remember from our episode I I had really enjoyed the scene where they were feasting together for the first time in Astraland. um I am curious if that relates to any personal experiences you've got in your life because when I um uh was visiting a friends family uh, mm-hmm. uh of uh like they they were they were from India it yeah. felt very very <laughs> very true to life and uh I had a yeah. great deal of fun with that scene could you uh yeah
1: yeah. That scene is definitely partially based on my own experience, and I arrived, so I lived in Nepal uh, for a year the first time, and it's a place I keep returning to, I have family there, and it's a place very near and dear to me, Uh, but the first time I went there back in 95, I'm not somebody who grew up eating spicy food, uh, or I had very little experience with, with any kind of cuisine outside of uh pretty standard american fare so (laughs) i i showed up my very like uh, literally off the plane my host family brought me to their home actually the the father of the family was a a very dear friend of mine that i met in grad school Um, so they brought me home and my friend's mother-in-law had made this elaborate meal and they had already all eaten so it was just me <laughs> at the table with with the four of them sitting around the table just kind of looking at me kind of maybe see how I, would... I mean they're wonderful hosts uh, but they i think they wanted to see you know make sure everything was good with me but i i, I did feel a little self-conscious well <laughs> and so i just started eating and then I thought, oh, this is really good, but then I started, my face started getting red, and I started, you know, getting sweaty, and finally, I think one of them noticed maybe and, and said, well, uh, is it okay? Do you, do you like it? And I said, um, it's very good, but it's hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> that scene in uh, when Dayraven and Gnorn and Orvindil and Abin, and the others, first arrive in Asdralad, um early in, in the Prophet of a den is very much based on my personal experience of not being a very now now today you know uh 30 years later or whatever uh i'm i'm a pro i can eat nice hot spicy food now so yeah proud to say yeah
2: mm-hmm. excellent yeah i don't want to be that foreigner who can't handle the spices
0: right <laughs> right That's yeah right. it's it's funny how in north america we don't really have okay in Canada, the United States, we don't have very much spicy food. And in these states, what's it's, more- it's a whole different world. Wait, wait,
2: world. wait, wait, wait. What's more American than Mexican food? <laughs>
3: hey.
1: But I, I am from Vermont originally. Um, <laughs> and and while you can get, now uh, nowadays, even in Vermont, some probably good Mexican food, uh, I just did not grow up eating anything like it. So, yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, I went to a uh, Korean fried chicken restaurant uh, a couple months back. And their food was excellent and very spicy. It's the uh, kind of spicy that I really like. And uh, I came back a few months later, and um, yep, now they have mild options on all
1: their food. <laughs> <laughs> <It> just... <laughs> yeah, for the amateurs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we, we all, when we were
2: talking uh, on our episode, we all mentioned how this does not feel like a middle book at all. No. Uh, especially considering the ending and how we all just assumed that the end of book 2 would be like the book of book 3. Can you tell us about your process and your decision and I mean maybe not what's going to happen next but I don't know what 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 you are working with and against. Sure.
1: Yeah. Now, I I think of the three books as essentially uh, being if you want to put it in terms of the hero's journey, particularly in regard to Day Raven, but not only in regard to Day Raven. You could think of the first book as the departure, right, leaving the familiar behind, leaving the womb, right? The second book is then transcendence, uh, the transcendence of oneself in order to become something bigger, to be, become more connected, to accomplish some goal. And then the third part, the part that I think usually gets neglected in fantasy is the return and it's important it is something Mm. that appears in many 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 myths um and it is very much a part of the entire hero's journey because it is through the return that the hero comes back and transforms having been transformed themselves they come back home and they help to instigate a transformation of where they're from um and that's that's Mm. important um and so but I, I also, in the title Return to Edan. I'm obviously alluding to that, but I'm, there are other meanings to the word return, uh, particularly when you consider that Edan is the name of this divinity, if you will. Although there are other characters who have a different way of looking at it, um, such as Galdor, you guys had met Galdor in uh, The Prophet of Edan, so he-
2: I love Galdor. Um, awesome. I, I, like
1: him too. I like Galdor a lot. Um, so he was fun to write, actually. Um, so yeah, so basically I, those are the three parts to me and the third book, while we're on the topic, to me anyway, I don't know how other people are going to see it, but to me it is the most, um, how do I put it? It's the one where I, I feel like I took the most risks, uh, the one that is most unconventional, the one that, um, is, uh. Just me kind of going for it in some ways um Mm, i like the sound of that yeah my appetite it's not to me it's not as fast paced as the prophet of eden which i i think many people found the have found the prophet of eden to be faster paced than the way of eden the first book Mm -hmm. so and that's deliberate i I wanted the second book to be more action oriented uh to to have to be the kind of like fallout from what happens in the first book where things really get rolling at the end of the first book and it just continues i hope that's my hope it just sort of continues right from the prologue of the second book so yeah and and then the third book i I deliberately at least for the first half or so slow it down and not that there's no action because there's definitely some action those Ilarchai are up to a lot you know in that first half you met Munzil in this book and, and Surt mm-hmm. and all those dudes. Uh, so they have their ambitions. Um, so that's going on. But there's a lot of stuff that just, it's me exploring uh, and uh, playing around here. So we'll see how that goes down with with uh, readers. Uh, to me, the third book is actually the most emotionally impactful. I, it's going to sound really absurd, but um I cry re- reading my own book uh <laughs> it's kind of stupid because I know what happens but but it's the third book that makes me uh break down you know um so and I hope that happens for readers who knows uh who knows I have no idea if, if that's gonna happen for readers but for me the, the third book is the most emotionally impactful
0: It'll probably happen for Hiran, because he's he's really easy to make that happen for. Her.
1: Okay, <laughs> but
0: true. I, true. I I fully expect to uh, to have strong emotions. Let's say uh, returning to Astraland. That was that that was a real twist of the knife you put in there, yeah. just having the entire yeah. island be ravaged.
1: Man. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah, nice. not nice. My favorite spot in that series. <laughs> if you know, if I were going to retire in Jormanland, I would want to retire in Astralad before the Torlanders got there. Um, yeah, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I feel kind of bad about that. <laughs> you should. Queen <laughs> yeah. Feldeer
0: wasn't ah, oh, she seemed like a perfect monarch to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah, very I,
3: unexpected.
1: Faldir yeah. and Urd as well in that particular mm-hmm. uh, battle uh so yeah that was tough that was really tough um and in some ways um I felt awful doing it in other ways you know that's it's something that happens a lot of course mm-hmm. in in fantasy and myth where you had these younger protagonists like Day Raven and Saquara, and they do have just like you you know with your parents you know um you feel when you're younger and you have parents that you're protected from the world somehow that they're there to shelter you and Mm. and when you get tossed out and you lose those mentor figures then it's kind of time to to grow up you know um so that's that's kind of what happens there but uh and it, it also i think affects those both of them deeply uh hopefully that comes across um uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't want this to be a book where people die and then there's just no revisiting that grief you know and that happens a lot in fantasy I think yes. um, so I wanted to come back to that repeatedly um and so and and with you know Gnorn who lost his brother I open with him you know having this dialogue uh with his brother you know, and that's his way of dealing with this grief., uh, so I, I want to portray consequences uh, in in the trilogy, and hopefully that comes through, yes, it definitely did, especially
0: with the culture as as that, that that's that's what got me the most. is just this this beautiful, precious culture that was there and it was it was, uh, you know, such a contrast to the rest of Jormanland. And yeah, uh, yeah was, they get the short end of the stick. and it's like it feels really tragic to have that lost. It
3: feels very true to history.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> a great point, actually. Yeah, how many times has that happened in history? And it's not the the conquered who write that history either. Um, so we usually get the, the people who do the damage, the Torlanders, are the ones who are glorified, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the history books. Um, so,
2: yeah. Um, I, I would say that they're the prophet specifically has a lot of incredibly memorable moments the fall of astral being one of them uh but the one that gut wrenched me the most was the death of day father uh-huh. so thank you for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, that was just that was just a tragedy in like every sense of the word and then uh yeah the grief afterwards and just
0: the yeah. misunderstanding so thank that, you that felt like a real old style tragedy to me thank you thank
1: you for saying that yeah that's straight out of old english uh they loved having these these conflicts where a father ends up somehow fighting against a son or something Mm -hmm. like that in this case i didn't want to do two on the nose with a father-son thing so i did orvendil um and edgil uh father Mm -hmm. and um it was it was awful because Orvendil didn't figured out who he was in the middle of it and did yeah. not want he couldn't to stop. Do this. He couldn't. He couldn't. Yeah. It, it's not who he is. It's not. It's not the nature of that. That's not how it works for someone like him. Uh, so yeah, that that was awful. The, the the part that I felt myself kind of um, emotional about was when he holds Ed Gill, when Orvendil holds him afterwards, and Day Raven is just arriving. And he's saying, see, they're up there. There's your son. And he's on top of Gorsarhad, the dragon, you know, and arriving, you know, and and, and knowing as he's up there in this just about to basically lose himself to the elf, knowing all this is happening below him, you know, and that his father is dying there. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad that that worked for you. Um, um, Sorry.
0: (laughs) This is something that I want to see more of in fantasy these days. It's. Yeah. It 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 feels to me like there is there's been a lot that's lost with um modern fantasy um like sometimes things like there is a doom upon things it it seems to me and and stories are really good at conveying this and i think modern fantasy doesn't have a sense of doom to its characters and its events And I, this was really, really cool to see. I want more of this. I want, I want, yeah. Uh, I'm very excited to see w- whatever else you write in the future. I hope you write more in the future because, Thank like, you. yeah.
1: Cool, <laughs> so. yeah. The the other tragic moment in in that battle, for me, anyway, on a personal level, was uh, Galdor losing. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, that yeah. yeah, that hurt. That was, uh, for me, and, and, and such... Um, an important assertion there because bledla's eyes are opened in that moment because he kills arna and trying to kill galdor but arna gets in the way and what bledla at first is in shock and thinks what how why he doesn't understand even and then he understands and then he's pissed and he realizes yeah. and he says you perverted him to galdor and maybe one of my i actually Personal favorite lines in, this, in the whole thing is when Galler just counters and said, "I loved him." You know,
2: so it was a good scene. It was a really good yeah.
3: scene. <laughs> um, there as well you. as the
0: what was that? Who, who goes you, Dusty? Go Ahead, Dusty. Yeah, go uh, Dusty. Mine,
3: was, mine was a joke. I thought you were going to say that the tragic part was that they didn't uh, they didn't kill Eric and Wald. Ah. <laughs> <So. laughs> yeah,
1: he's still around. Um, God, yeah, that guy. But of course, Bledla is—you uh, know—that was uh, hopefully I surprised a few people with with yes. the Bledla thing. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes, it was awesome.
1: Good, good. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I—I I hope you also feel, in addition to being surprised, like you could see it coming too, mm-hmm. like in hindsight, because um, that was sort of something I was setting up right from the first book. You know, they—they've mm-hmm. never really liked each other much, and Erkenwalds is i mean in many ways Bloodlot is a stand-in father figure for Irkenwald, and he's always resented him for that uh, so yeah
2: and oh i just remembered the scene where Irkenwald strangles his wife to death <laughs> oh my. Uh,
1: that was well written. That, that was is, one of the most was,
2: intense things i've read in a while
1: that was a very difficult scene to write that was very difficult um and I was almost wondering, did I go too far here? No, no, no. 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 No, That was just
0: about perfect, I think. Yeah, Yeah. it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, his whole... Of course, he's in a whole world of denial about Mm -hmm. what he is and his his own cowardice, and he's trying to compensate for that in so many unhealthy ways. (laughs) 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 You could call it toxic masculinity, I guess. uh, But... uh, Mm yeah um he's yeah he's a uh a pretty messed up guy um and uh, that is a moment where I feel like that moment explains him in the third book more than any other probably um and I- I'm very eager to see what you guys think of what happens with him in the third book um, so uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see
0: uh with with the death of bloodlet feels like to me it's heralding a turn away from uh zealotry and a turn towards uh cynicism well who's in
1: charge now that bloodless not is joramon
0: yeah Yeah. i'm really interested to see what you do with that that's i think you probably have very interesting things to say there uh given given all that that has been done so far
1: yeah yeah yoramon has a vision and uh in some ways the the third book it's not like He's not the main character, but it, in some ways for me, it's Jormann's most important book because um, the things are set up there at the end. He's becoming after his little deal he had with Erkenwald all along. He's becoming the Supreme Priest. He supported Erkenwald at, at the battle, um, you know, and uh, so he's getting his little reward. Let's see what he does with it, you know in that uh third book um yeah he has his amb- yeah, as you know he, he has his uh pretty big ambition conquer mortality right mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah
2: thank you uh he's my favorite priest character i mean I, I think they're all incredibly interesting like we said in our first discussion but yeah he's he's certainly the most intriguing to me i think yeah um i in our first discussion we all kind of agreed that day raven was he was fine he kind of grew us on, on us through the first book, and then right. we talked to you, and you're like, "Well, I hope our readers respond better to Day Raven because book two is Day Raven's book. Two is Day Raven's book, and yeah. you were absolutely right. And thank you. And his oh, sections good. were a joy to read, and uh, my favorite part of the book. Um, Great! I'm so happy it, to hear that. Yeah, his struggles and his learning, uh, and he, even his his relationship with Saquara yeah, and uh, their consummation, and finally his enlightenment. and and quest the enlightenment was oh i could go back and i I might just read that chapter again because that was amazing that
1: was
0: my favorite moment of the book
1: yeah 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 um yeah i tried to strike uh, an almost mythical note um with both that particular moment of his enlightenment and also when he meets gorsarhad and has this dialogue Uh with with her dragon that was cool it was really cool it's supposed to be an epic transcendent mythical moment and obviously you know there there are heroes in myth who talk to dragons you can talk about sigurd the dragon slayer and tolkien gives a nice little nod to it with bilbo and smog you know in Mm -hmm. the hobbit um but there are a few rules you know like you you don't want to tell a dragon your name you know uh and and (laughs) the dragon there's power in a name right and then the dragon's trying to um uh, basically uh, entrance you uh, and if it can curse you right if you kill a dragon you get its treasure it's going to curse you right And that's going to be a, a bad idea to hold on to that treasure and usually that treasure spells the, the hero's demise in one way or another that's how that usually goes down in those old myths so, yeah, I was, I was kind of leaning on some very old stories and, and trying to make that moment feel almost mythical. Um, yeah, so I'm glad. I'm really happy. I, I love hearing uh, Day Raven love out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I've thought maybe, I was hoping, as, as you said in our last discussion, that um, people who found Day Raven a little bit vanilla would uh warm up to him in profit. Uh so hopefully that happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I the the importance of names in the dragon the dragon talk uh also feels like a welcome welcome thing. Mm. Um obviously there are there are authors that have also had names have importance, but usually it's like just like a straightforward like in in uh something like the name of the wind. It's more like a straightforward this can grant you magical powers and yeah. Uh yeah, like this this gave me a sense of mythical significance and mm. the the reality that the the names that you earn they're really like that's something that happens it, it's 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 important it's yeah. uh part of Yeah, this are. is how you make your mark on the world largely through your earning, earning names.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is something that goes way, way back in all kinds of myths and stories. And you see it in many of the greatest fantasies, um, like mm-hmm. in Ursula Le Guin's Ursula yes. series. Yes. Before, that's that's uh, what
0: I was thinking. Of, like the, the yeah. sorry, uh, the first encounter with, with, with getting the dragon. Yes.
1: That's, yes. Yeah. That's, well, I'm so glad way, that. yeah.
0: yeah, that's like a huge compliment because like I... Loved that scene anywhere <laughs> it was Earthsea. It's it's one of the things in fantasy that sticks out to me the most.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I Le Guin is one of my heroes, uh, absolutely, and so yeah, I, I, I would, I'm very happy if people feel like there's an Earthsea echoes in in the Adan trilogy. Um, but yeah, names are very important, and um, for me, actually, a lot of the the songs of origin kind of go back to that concept too, um, knowing the the true name for something somehow it gives you power over it and that's what the songs of origin essentially are they're in this beyond ancient mythical language uh, and I got the idea actually from the Finnish Kalevala um, I don't know if you guys have read the Kalevala before or not but it's it, essentially it was a, a, a collection of uh, Finnish tales in the 19th century um, I'm probably going to mispronounced the guy's name, but uh, Elias Lonrot or something like that. Went around and collected these tales, put them together in in this. And so in a way, yes, they're very ancient, but it's also he put it together in the 19th century, but it's the national epic of Finland, uh, the, the Kalevala. And in the Kalevala, the way magic works is you have to sing. You sing these songs that essentially put you back in a kind of creation time where you have you can manipulate and influence things and so very much where i'm uh very inspired by that for the songs of origin in in the adan trilogy yeah i
3: thought it was fun though that like you had sikora teaching day raven this stuff and day raven asked well can i do spells without the songs of origin and she's kind of like oh no not at all and i was like this is a this is a hold my beer moment (laughs)
1: yes so what we find out is possibly the songs of origin are like a crutch uh Mm -hmm. for for people who use the gift um faldera expresses the understanding that songs of origin are important because they help you to keep anchored to your your, your yourself right the energy that constitutes your individual ego and there is a risk of course for one using magic uh, in this world, if you overdo it, um, you lose your identity, or you can lose uh, your your spirit. It'll just dissipate. Essentially, that's what Ord does on purpose when she saves Day Raven and the others. Um, when Astralad is being ravaged, uh, Ord realizes that this is going to call for a, a sacrifice, and so she overdoes the gift in a, in a sense. That's what she does. You know. And uh, is able to influence things for a, a little while as her essence essentially spreads into everybody around her. You know, um, so yeah,
0: yeah. I really like the the strong the strong Eastern influence on this uh, on the magic here. Um, I, I've, I've said this a lot of times though. Um, the uh, yeah, so the scene with the elf when he was becoming when he was reaching transcendence. Um, <clears throat> I. I not to sound pretentious, but I feel like I've had experiences like that in my life with, sure. with meditation oh, and other things. Yeah, so that I was going to ask. So, could you tell us a bit about those experiences? Yeah,
1: I think these are experiences that one can have through uh, meditation or through intense prayer um and that's how it happened to me actually uh when i was 16 or so actually it happened to me a couple times um and that was a time in my life when you know i grew up i think i might have told you guys i'm the son of a pastor grandson of a pastor great grandson of a pastor yeah and yeah you're a pk too that's right yeah so (laughs) so i i grew up um a fairly religious person uh and not like ledla you know but you know hopefully a more a nicer uh religious person but i used to read the bible every day uh and i would pray every day um and i would try to pray for half an hour and or or at least that's a long time to maintain your your concentration Mm -hmm. Um, and a couple times i had this experience i did not know i was like 16 years old i did not know what it was but it was this amazing thing where suddenly i wasn't in my body anymore and i was it was like i was floating over the entire universe and i was somehow one with the universe and it believe me it surprised me because i did not know what this was i had never heard of something like this um and It was just so blissful and at the same time, kind of scary because I did not feel, I didn't know how, how am I going to get back here? You know, it was really something. It was really crazy. Now, I know, I'm pretty sure that, um, People have done studies on this kind of experience. A lot of people have had this, like I said, it happens through meditation, through prayer, other means, I'm sure, but Mm -hmm. there must be something going on in the brain when that happens. Uh, I haven't read up a ton on it, but uh, I almost don't want to read up on it because I don't want to know the scientific explanation for why this happens. Um, I'd, I'd rather just think of it as an incredibly beautiful spiritual experience um, where you do feel a sense of connection to the world and to everyone around you. Um, and I, I think that that's something that's, that's part of it. It is this idea that I, I, I hope is very present in, in the trilogy, the idea of transcending oneself and connecting to people and that is very much uh, people have observed that the magic is empathic um, and that's very much related to that experience this intense feeling of bliss and love and connection um, and transcendence of the self and the realization that in a way it's 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 a kind of a paradox but you realize how small you are how also how you are part of everything mm-hmm so yeah, and it sounds like yeah, I can see that you've had a, a very similar
0: experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a very beautiful thing and mm-hmm. I, I promise I'll stop saying stuff like this at some point, but <laughs> I think I think that a lot of fantasy could really do with having a more intimate understanding of the spiritual side of life. Yeah. And yeah. I really get that sense from these these books and um that's that's like where the real magic is for me.
1: I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of what I, I really I think was motivating me what to explore all this. Really, that that same conviction. Yeah. Does psilocybin give that effect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: uh, this is tangentially related, but have you heard of Julian Jaynes's "The Origin of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind"?
1: Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. So the idea that the Ancient Greeks, for example, hearing the gods talking to them, it's really one part of their brain talking to the other part of the brain and that our mo- our brains are a little more connected. The two halves, the two spheres are more connected now, so we don't have that same voice mm. talking to us. Is that That's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah,
2: that's the one. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I found it a fascinating idea. I'm not sure I agree, but it kind of reminded me of the, the idea of consciousness and uh, living outside yourself and yeah. outside of
1: ecstasy. I, you know, I, I feel like there's so much about our own brains, our minds that we don't understand and that it's probably good to approach all these questions with a sense of humility and and openness. Um, That's how I feel. I'm fascinated by it though. I've read a lot of books about not, I'm I'm very far from an expert, but I'm I'm fascinated by neuroscience and how the brain Mm -hmm. works and and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think it's so cool. Um, Yeah. And we're increasingly seeing how, the mind or the spirit and uh, the body all affect each other right we're we're i think increasingly acknowledging that um, mm-hmm. that these things are very connected as well uh, yeah, it's uh, i I find it fascinating, which is probably what motivated me to try to to explore these things in in the trilogy, yeah
0: yeah, something that always uh, interests me about modern neuroscience findings is the Disconnect between the right and left hemispheres of the brain. Well, yeah. not disconnect. The partial, the very partial, limited connections between those. And uh, <clears throat> there are a lot of theories on this. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of interesting people are writing interesting things about it. Absolutely. But, um, I, yeah, I think there's absolutely a lot of space to explore this in the science fiction and fantasy genre, and a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of fertile ground that's uh, currently being uh, left fallow.
1: <laughs> Let's say. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good example of where reading nonfiction can, I think, enrich Mm -hmm. uh, a fiction writer's uh, story. Um, So, yeah, I'd love to see more engagement with these kinds of things. Yeah.
2: Um, I got a a question more concrete about this story. Um, First of all, I love the way you write your barbarians.
0: Um,
1: Ah, Munzil and Sort and company. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just saying bar,
0: bar, bar, though, so... That's not fitting calling barbarians, I think, right? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, maybe
2: you should put that in the next book before it goes out. Bar, bar, bar. But uh, are... are I mean, you probably say Rafa or something, but are they just... It feels like they're getting taken advantage by Jormon, Um but maybe they're kind of in on it and they know what they're doing. I'm not quite sure.
1: Yeah, well, I would say Munzil is much more clever than Yormon initially, at least, gives him credit for. Um, and, yeah. and you do see Yormon thinking of himself as a very civilized individual and uh, looking down his nose and he's miserable when he's dragged <laughs> over to, <laughs> yeah. to the wildlands as the emissary of Torland. Um, so I, I had a little bit of fun tormenting Yormon there. Um, and, but they have their own cleverness. And that's something that emerges in the story. The, the Sildari the kingdom of sildaran they underestimate these Very people much so. to th- their own uh, regret. i mean it's it's pretty drastic how the elves once they're united it's that one thing and i think you see this historically a lot when you have these these areas that are sort of culturally similar but you have these rival tribes or kingdoms that are always at each other's throats and they never really accomplish much on a great scale but when they find that leader who unites them oh boy watch out yeah that's happened a few times in in human history um so it's kind of Munzil's vision in the right time in the right place cert appears in history and you know and suddenly you've got some potential for some world-changing uh invasions yeah -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. like the mongols (laughs) exactly um, exactly uh, Mm -hmm.
2: those sections where uh yorban was pretending to be civil above and above these barbarians really reminded me of the uh, army of righteous chastisement from uh blood and bone
1: yeah oh yeah i love it uh, yeah yeah that's a great book yeah that's a lot of fun. oh I love they make their way all me. the way well that's a spoiler i guess but I, I was gonna say well what happens when they get to the end of their their uh conquest <laughs> wow. it's just so
2: good uh, the epigraphs are fantastic yeah. that's my favorite yes, i
3: part. gotta read it. is that one john gwynn no, no that's a uh, yeah that's all oh, that one okay yeah. I was thinking something and something because I saw it at a bookstore. Oh, you know why? Because yeah, there.
1: of Blood and Bone is the uh, jo- uh, John Gwynn's second series in the same world uh, as uh, his first series, and Blood and Bone is esselmont's what is it, fifth or fourth book in Novels is of the Modern? It, it? Fifth, fifth. Yeah, it's last right? one
2: before sale. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right. Oh, right, guys. I still need to go back and read all
0: that stuff. <laughs> there's
1: a lot of blood and there's a lot of bones in fantasy. So, yes. You know, yeah. um, They're good motifs.
0: Yeah. The the Sildari. Um, were they yes. at all inspired by the uh, Byzantines?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I wanted there to be... Because there, the cultures of the East and, the, and and Azraeli, because the Azraeli come from there, mm-hmm. I wanted to make it a kind of mix of Mediterranean which would include Byzantine mm-hmm. uh and but also a bit of Roman perhaps and South Asian I mean the language is much closer to a South a fake South Asian language right. um uh, and the um other influence is a, is a bit of the Celtic which comes out more in the Southwest with Adenon and Cargillian uh right. they, they have a much more explicitly Ooh. Celtic feel to them but they're related kind of distantly to the Eastern kingdoms and to Asdralad. So, so yeah, that, that was my intention at least. And mm-hmm. I, I let sort of let my imagination just go. Um, and so a lot of that is just made up as well. Um, but well, yeah,
0: they definitely feel like a melange of, uh, of different cultures. I, I just, yeah. you know, I, everything Roman causes my, just, I, I go crazy over all that stuff that I, I should say the Ormond in general, very much feels like a land where giant swans lived.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, so the Andumae, these, the Andumae kingdoms, um, mm-hmm. the Eastern ones, uh, including Sildaran and Golgar and Sundara, and also Asdralad, uh, there's a history there. I heard this whole history, which uh, you, you see snippets of it here and there, and probably not too many people care, but, <laughs> but they, they arrived in that continent um, about a couple thousand years prior to this story and they were fleeing a major disaster in their previous homeland. Um, so that's, they have a history here. The only people who were there longer than them were of course the Dwergs. Uh, yeah. The Dwergs were there first. Um, yeah. and much later came these Il'archai, is what the, the Andumaic people, call the people who would eventually settle into Torland and Elend and the Mark and all of that. Um, so, mm. and it's sort of ironic that Jormund thinks he's superior to the these <laughs> tribes because guess where his people came from, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, is
0: is there any chance we'll get to see uh, the lands beyond Jormanland at all?
1: Oh, okay. So, I mean, <laughs> I I've toyed with that idea. Um, I, I'm not in the trilogy. Mm -hmm. and not even in the standalone sequel that I've already written and hope to publish in 2024. Um, It's called While While Darkness Gathers is the title. I didn't know about this. Yeah, that's all written. (laughs) I want to show it to AP, my developmental editor, and uh, have him go over it and give me some feedback and hopefully get it out sometime in 2024 uh so so but i do not venture beyond Jormanland in that Mm -hmm. book either but i was thinking about certain characters in that book venturing beyond Jormanland. so funny you should ask
0: yeah that's an exciting proposition
1: yeah
3: that's cool
0: (laughs) um Um, i think i'll go ahead
3: dusty no i'm sorry we we move really far past it but i just wanted to say the um the wall never falls, and then having wow. the perspective from the one guy of, of yeah. oh my Keep god, on. this is really scary. But yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. And then turning around and realizing that they've been surrounded by the people they've enslaved. Like that part was awesome. Good, <laughs> well yeah. Done.
1: Good. I'm glad you like that, Kevon. I I again had fun writing that character. He's just this ordinary everyday guy. He's an archer farmer turned Archer and uh he I don't know if you noticed but he appears near the very end when uh Dayraven has kind of first saved a day then almost killed everybody and then sequar brings him back um and then Dayraven uses the dragons to basically tell the the Torlanders to to piss off you know And, and so they do but there's a brief moment near the end of that chapter where one of the the uh, Sildari soldiers. even notices him, kind of looking over, and says, "That's the prophet, that raggedy fellow over there." And then I just briefly describe that soldier as having a wound on his arm, and I think I might have mentioned he's an archer. That was Kevon. Um, so he, uh, he has a little, he has a little cameo there, and yes. uh, I just—I guess it's a minor spoiler—but he will appear in Book Three as well. Yeah, so, sweet, yeah. excellent. <laughs> Some characters from Book One will also uh be back in book three. Oh so, yeah. That, ah. characters, characters that sack, did not appear sack. in book two. Yes, you're ball gonna get some sack. more ball sack, yes. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are missing him in book two. We talked about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. He the return of Bagsack, yes. I could have <laughs> called book three the return of Bagsack, I guess, right?
2: <laughs> that's how to get it that's how to get the readers, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Eye catching title. Yeah, the sex um, appeal. I, I read book one, and, like, I really like this character, Balsack, but he disappeared, like, a quarter in. I read book two. I just don't know if I want to go on. <laughs> Return of Balsack.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That, that's what's going to get me to the top of the New York Times bestseller list right there.
2: Give yeah. the readers what they want. Yeah. Uh, speaking of readers, um, I love how much you... I, I know it's self-promotion, but I love how much you promote uh, reviews of your work, and I enjoy uh-huh. seeing them, and... I enjoy, you know, hearing what other people think, and I'm sure you do. Um, oh yeah. Is is there, any, is there anything you're? Hmm, how do I phrase this? Is there anything you've been surprised by uh, in reader response, or is there anything that you feel that readers have missed, or is there something you've been proud of but you haven't seen people talk about?
1: Ah, uh, there are a few little things. Uh, so. <clears throat> Some of them I, I, I don't expect most people to catch. and that's, It was me dorking out and planting little, like, Old English and Old Norse little nods here and there and stuff like that. Um, and and there have been a couple readers uh, who have ca- caught on to those things. Uh, but then there are things like, do try to, in the stories within the story. So maybe when Abban, the bard, is telling a tale, is uh, singing. For example, in this book, in The Prophet of Idan. He tells a song, uh, s- sings a song, to Orvendil's uh, people, these piratical Viking people, the Theoths. And they're trying to win the Theoths over, right? And Abin says, hey, I'll sing you the song that got me this scar on my face. Because when I sang it, back home, somebody tried to kill me because I was singing about the old gods. And he sings a tale about the, the, the essentially, I'm, I'm stealing the idea from old Norse mythology of a, of a tree the world tree, essentially. Mm. I call Laroth. Laroth is actually uh, another name for Yggdrasil. Um, it's not a, a well-known Ooh. name, but it is another name for Yggdrasil. So I totally just pilfered that name. And I'm, <laughs> instead of instead of an ash tree, though, I made it an oak because I like oaks, you know. Um, so, But uh, Laroth the oak, he, I mean, he sings about this primordial tree from which uh, initially this dragon emerges, Hringvolnir, and then um, Hring Volnir starts eating the tree, and then all these monsters are born from her swollen belly, and then the gods emerge from the tree, as if the tree is trying to act in self-defense or something, right? It's, it's got to counter all these monsters, So the gods emerge, and they're monster slayers, and they all, ultimately, they kill Hring Volnir, and they make uh, the earth out of her parts, just like with the giant Imr in Old Norse mythology, so lots of Old Norse nods there. But how do they kill this dragon? Uh, So the chief God sort of taunts the dragon and gets it to open its mouth. Or no, sorry. He has the the strong God, Bolthar, um, goes to this monster and uh, challenges it. And when it opens its mouth, the chief God throws this. Essentially, it's like a bolt of lightning. It's a special weapon made by the blacksmith God uh, for this purpose. And he throws it into the dragon's mouth, and it explodes the dragon, and it's, it, its pieces go everywhere, and the gods make the earth out of it. So that's a little bit me playfully foreshadowing something that, that happens later in the story itself, the story proper, which is, of course, you might be guessing already, uh, an event that happens during the battle where Orvendil gets his new nickname, mm, right? Yeah. He throws a specially made weapon mm-hmm. uh, made by Gnorn, a blacksmith, into the dragon's maw, into its open mouth, and it, you know, and then there's that whole sequence of, uh, of combat. Um, but Orvindil becomes Dragonbane, right? Um, in mm. that moment, so I was kind of like playfully foreshadowing that sort of thing. I, um,
2: I totally caught it. I know everything about Norse mythology.
1: Nice, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, um, so you are- also, go ahead. I was just saying, you also answered why even. Uh, achieved enlightenment underneath an oak tree instead of a fig tree
1: mm-hmm. or a bunion tree or whatever yeah i mean it was cool. yeah. um, i like oaks uh um, <laughs> so yeah but i wanted that to tree to be an echo of the world tree you know mm-hmm. uh, which he sees in the course of that vision as well right as kind of like this giant bar of light and all these galaxies are being born inside it and you know trying to duplicate that experience i had when i was a 16 year old.
0: Yeah, echoes are very important in your in your work and i really appreciate that the themes of resonance, you know, kind of like music, uh yeah. and cycles repeating and being changed and you know, continuing onwards and then seeing the next start the start of the next cycle. Yep. That's uh, exactly. that's always very interesting to me. Uh, if you ever if you ever want to put in a a, a story resonant with uh, how Odin loses his eye that would be excellent. I like oh, that one too. Oh,
1: good one. Yeah, at the Well of Nimmer. Yes. That's
0: yeah. That's probably my favorite religious tale, I think. Yeah, it's just it's just so good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, the Hávamál in the poetic Edda is this nomic poem, this wisdom poem where Odin explains all that, you know, and and mm. where and, and the wisdom he got from this, you know, also by yeah. sacrificing himself to himself. To himself. Oh. Yeah. yeah. On the world tree, you know, uh, that's good stuff right there. That's really good stuff.
0: It is. Yeah. That's, I, it, like, there, I don't know, there are very few actual Norse pagans out there, I think, if there are any, but uh, I think, I think there's still a lot of power and, and, and wisdom to be gained from uh, from these stories. It's a shame we don't know more of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank the Icelanders for the ones that we do have, you know, because they're the ones that mm-hmm. wrote, wrote all this stuff down. Uh, without the Icelanders, we wouldn't know much at all. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, lots of, lots of Old Norse stuff in there, but lots of Buddhist and Hindu yeah. stuff in there, and uh, I think you guys have caught on pretty well to uh, a lot of my Influences, um, and hopefully it all gels and makes sense. As a I state. was just
0: gonna say, that it's like that. It all, it all, it all makes sense next to, next to each other. It's a, it's a beautiful fusion, and uh, mm. it like never feels jarring going from one culture to the other, even though they are quite different. Like it all to me, it, may, it very much makes sense that these all exist in this world. And while the way V done is the prevailing by like the the dominant force here it's yeah it's it's very much not the only one and and they still have to reckon with uh other ones in very in very real ways on philosophical and material levels
1: yeah yeah uh, well going back to i can't remember who made this comment but I, I, it was to the effect that uh what happens with day raven and Saquara it, mm. I, I'm hoping that that works. I'm not a romance novel you know, writer, so oh, I was yeah. nervous about that, frankly. Like, uh, how is this gonna go over? Is this gonna be too cheesy, you know? Um, so I, I, I hope I struck a good balance there with that, um, that, the, that the relationship didn't come out of nowhere, that it made sense. I mean, when two people share each other's mm-hmm. memories, that's a kind of intimacy that um, most people, I mean, no one has really in real that's no. it's a fantasy thing really but I would imagine that if you shared someone's memories you would feel very close to that person um and that that's a that's a, as a an anomaly because of the unique way it happened um perhaps because of the presence of the Elf and Raven. who knows but or or how close it came with Saquar and Raven almost dying when she saved his life you know initially for whatever reason, the memories stay because stay with Saquara and with Day Raven, and they they bleed into each other essentially. I you know? think. Did we talk about the our episode? I
0: if we didn't, then uh, yeah, like it totally does. I was apprehensive at the start of the novel that yeah. I, that it wouldn't work because I've seen this go wrong so many times. Yeah, it's um, easy
1: to go wrong. Trust me. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And this is this is one of the things that I think of when I like earlier I said that things get, feel like they have kind of a doom to them. and when they're when they're having sex finally, that felt like to me like a moment heavy with doom. Uh, not necessarily in like a negative sense. it's just this is this is a fraught, kind of tragic, beautiful little thing. And yeah, yeah it it totally did work for me and I'm not a romance reader, but um yeah yeah, I, I, I totally buy first of all, Day Raven being interested in Squire, but also her reciprocating that at the end. And that's uh, yeah, that's that's rare. <laughs> for...
2: <laughs> I am a romance reader. I don't read a lot, but I do seek it out sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it worked for me. It really did. And but and it's because the the strong characters and a strong character bond. But most of all, I think it was the beautiful language.
1: Mm. Uh-huh.
2: Um, yeah, and the way uh, that they share and they're coming together. Um, I think that's why it worked. And I I definitely have different tastes than most romance readers, but. Personally speaking, it really worked and I thought it was beautiful.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: The scene that he had with Galdor beforehand, I think, was yeah. what really tied it together for me. Like yeah. Dave Raven going into this knowing that this is gonna this is gonna be a tragic thing, but embracing it anyways. Yeah. I, I really like that.
1: Yeah, because you cannot I mean, read Steven Erickson's Toll the Hounds, which is mm-hmm. to me the single greatest exploration of how love and grief are intertwined, ever written. I mean, I just think it is a brilliant book and how grief and love, you can't have one without the other. You cannot have love without grief. It's mm-hmm. inevitable. Um, and, and that's what uh, both of them go into this knowing. Um, so, and Sequara, you know, it's interesting, or, or I think it's interesting, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's not like just because they do consummate in a physical way, their their connection with each other that is no reassurance of the future. you know at the end, Saquara still doesn't know I don't know what I'm gonna do with you because I need to go back to astralad I need to, to to if there's anything left to save, I need to go back there and and help my people. That's my duty. So her sense of duty has not disappeared. Uh, and she knows that she just bought herself a lot of pain um, in in allowing this to happen. and so does Day Raven because he he knew he was gonna have to probably. Say goodbye to everybody in the process of giving himself over to the elf in order to accomplish what he needed to accomplish so yeah so i hope that was a a poignant and effective uh moment Uh, so cool yeah yeah thumbs up yeah yeah i mean it's i by no means felt confident about uh writing it it was something that was I had to work at uh, and i'm glad for you three at least it it worked pretty well Um, and i've gotten some good feedback from other readers too so yeah yeah.
0: it was a very pleasant surprise
1: good good yeah (laughs) there's this a very spiritual connection but i i don't think personally that so we tend to in the west have this dichotomy between the body and the spirit Mm -hmm. and i think that's a mistake i think that um our, our bodies and spirits, whatever spirit is, are, are intimately connected and affect each other. So for me, the uh, spiritual connection that they already share um, is not so dissimilar from the physical uh, consummation uh, that mm-hmm. happens between them. Um, so I hope it, it came across as, as beautiful and not gross, you know. <laughs> no, yeah. That, yes. And it was I a deliberate... That I yeah. did it right after the chapter where Erkenwald kills his wife. I mean, it's like they're they're very much contrasts. They're very much uh, juxtaposed. Those those two scenes, yeah, and
0: each made better by the presence of the other. Yeah, yeah, hopefully.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree with you. There is there is a tension in the West, and I I'm I'm totally with you that it's I think it's uh, a mistake, but. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah and it's behind I think a lot of the pain that that uh a lot of westerners have inflicted on the world this dichotomy mm. between body and spirit the idea yeah. that well there's gonna be an afterlife where everything's okay, so we can totally mm. screw up this world you know mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> oh so, uh, yes there's a it's something profoundly cynical about the uh, notion of life after death right that's uh, uh yeah that's that's a great thing from a as well
1: <laughs> yes, yes indeed yeah
0: so I I I guess uh um so you come across as a very nice and wholesome guy um
1: oh that's good. so
0: I, I I the the reason I bring this up is um in, in the books you are clearly very comfortable going to very cruel and dark places with your characters yeah. um how do you how do you find that balance is it just like you have a dark side of yourself like <laughs> Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde and this is just the only <laughs> way you can express it through uh, Eric and well,
1: um, I, I think AP would tell you probably something like that, right? Uh, <laughs> my, my nemesis. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think I might have said to you guys before. Um, if I didn't say it to you guys, I said it to someone. There's probably a little bit of me in most of the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erkenwald would be an exception. I don't really <laughs> see anything of me in Erkenwald. I don't think of myself, at least, as a narcissist. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not.
2: Your no. wife is probably happy to hear that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's dark. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a bit of me in, in most of them, and maybe that's <laughs> a scary thought. Um, but yeah, people are people are complex, um, mm-hmm. and I am every day of my life doing my best to learn to be a better person, and to be more empathetic. Uh, to understand more people literature stories I think are are a powerful tool in in that quest uh, to be a better person Uh, and I think that part of literature's job not that every story has to do this but part of literature's job is to be very honest about some very painful things to directly encounter certain things that are painful and perhaps in a, in a fantasy setting might be a little bit easier to wrestle with you know with that bit of psychic distance uh, so yes i do portray some pretty horrible things eric and Wald killing his wife you know i think that's just awful um and it's horrible and repugnant and i, I think of that scene and i'm repulsed by it i wrote the thing you know mm-hmm. um so um yeah characters do horrible things sometimes characters like munzil for example there's that soldier that he kills at the wall he's got this knife and they're wrestling over this knife and finally munzil gets the upper hand and he's on top of this guy and he's pushing this knife closer and closer to the guy's neck and there's this struggle and finally he gets it you know and it's very graphically described and he you know he, he kills the guy and afterwards he says to him you you died honorably you know and it's like wow, oh, okay it's like he feels a connection to this man that he just killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the strangest thing. Um, there, his is a, a morality that I definitely don't uh, espouse, um, and yet from his own perspective, he's he's acting in a in a manner that is noble. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, people are complicated, and and uh, we don't always see morality the same way. Mm-hmm. Culture can. There are certain things that seem to be fairly universal, but then, you know, uh, I, I think our, our lens when it comes to morality is definitely shaped in many ways by the culture we grow up in. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: yeah. And whether or not everything we're doing is uh, uh, to fight a doomed battle against Ragnarok. Eh? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Even Blood thought he was doing the right thing. So you know.
0: Yeah. For me, the most monstrous moment of the book is like when when they take take Astralad and Eric and Waltz just like let him at ha- like let his soldiers just just ravage the land. And he does it so casually and so so easily. And clearly he's he's projecting his own stuff out into the world. But um,
1: I had actually originally written um, because you hear about that. In, yep. in, in a flashback, essentially, when Urkenwald's back in Torland. I had originally written scenes of that and decided, you know what? That's too much. I can't do mm. this. Um, and so I took those out. I actually had written some of that and thought, eh, no, no, I just can't do this. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, there's a certain point I'm not willing to go beyond, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, but the atrocities that they commit, and this is something that happens in war. Yep. All the time. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: I'm not saying that in a way I hope I don't come across as judgmental because I don't know what I would do if I were in that situation. I don't know what I would do if I was afraid for my life every day and even more afraid of being a coward. Like Orvindil observes in the first book, you know, when Dave Raven asks him, what's courage? And Orvindil answers, courage is when you're more afraid of being a coward than you are of dying, you know, essentially. You're more afraid of shame uh, than of death. Um, and uh, that's what I've, you know, I, I've read um, accounts like Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried. He's the guy I got this idea from, essentially. He, he portrays the soldier's greatest fear is, you know, the fear of dying is is, is vast and it's always present. But then there's the fear of shaming oneself and that's what keeps Mm -hmm. you in that situation um so there's that constant tension that's going on there um and so yeah what would i do if i were put in that situation i have no idea i have no idea what i would do um but there are many examples of i think soldiers of various times and places who have gone on a rampage as Mm as a just as a vent all those that those spheres exploding and and coming out in this um primal rage um so and all kinds of of atrocities committed in in the course of that um so that's kind of what happens on Astralad really yeah.
0: yeah and i think it's i think it's actually somewhat more effective cuz he didn't write those scenes cuz i i at least feel like i can totally i i know what happened yeah. and yeah that's yeah. that's why it affects me so
1: much it's just probably you're right yeah yeah, yeah. i do get uh, I, I thought i was perhaps being a bit unfair to the torlanders in the first two books so one thing mm. as a little tiny spoiler i'm going to try to give more of a of a torlander perspective in the third book um mm. uh, besides the priests uh so um, a little bit of that um just a bit of a soldier's perspective uh perhaps um but yeah so because there's nobody, there's no, to me, there's no group of people that's entirely evil anywhere. Mm-hmm. Even though we have these narratives that, you know, of good guys, bad guys, there's, there's no group of people that's entirely good or evil. Um, so,
0: Yeah, it's always more complex, and everyone, when put into a certain cultural context, probably would be surprised at uh, how, mu- how different things would be for them.
1: Yeah, You don't know what you would do if you were in that situation. So well thank on you very much, gentlemen. Really, really <laughs> on that cheerful this. note. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yes, thank you very much, Philip and uh, the Dusty and Hiran. Uh, <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm Ash. Uh, we'll we'll be coming back again very shortly for return to Adan. And uh, until then, uh, good night, everybody.
3: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya.
2: Um, I just want to say congrats to Philip on finishing the book of the New Sun.
0: Oh,
1: thank oh you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was my first read-through, so I still have a lot of questions, and I'm hoping that my I'll do a reread for sure. It was it was just too good not to. But I, I, I'm hoping that I'll feel more emotionally attached to the characters on a reread because I think. Trying to figure out what the heck was going on the whole time sort of hampered my attachment to the character, my emotional connection to the what was happening. So it was interesting, though. It was a very, like, intellectually, I was there. Emotionally, I felt like it was. I do, th- I do think that Wolf was more interested in themes and mm-hmm. than, in, in, than in emotional, you know, character arcs and stuff like that. Um, so I mean, it's just it read like a lot like a medieval allegory to me um, yes. in many ways. So
2: I agree. Um, do, uh, do you plan on reading Earth?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, Earth of the New Sun. Yeah, yeah. I I'd, I'd like to read that because some of the um, Gene Wolfe fans are insisting you won't really understand Book of the New Sun until you read Earth of the New Sun. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe that'll I, help.
2: I kind of agree, but yeah. like uh, in in Gene Wolfe fac- fashion. He answers a lot of questions that you have about Book of the New Sun, but he yep. answers them with other questions that he won't answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, there is one person who's just new to Book of the New Sun, finished it recently and is now reading Earth, the New Sun, commented and said, I thought I was going to get answers and I feel more lost now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. But I, 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 most people say reading Earth, the New Sun does clarify a lot of things. So...
2: I, I agree. I've only read it once, and I read it last year, I think.
1: How was Nepal? Oh, Nepal's awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, it's like my second home, really. So I always love going back there. And um, yeah, we were mainly there to see family, and that uh, yeah, was wonderful. Just really nice people over there. They're very generous hosts. I'm um, I'm sure you've experienced similar things where you are as well. Um, But just being, being good hosts is such a huge part of the culture. Um, So I got, I get spoiled when I go there. Um, It's partly because I'm, I'm a son-in-law as well. And and, and in a Nepali family, the son-in-law is not really allowed to do much except like eat and (laughs) lounge around and, and, uh, so actually, I was kind of spoiled while I was there. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I mentioned that um, must have inspired some of the sequences in this book, eh? I mean, I, I, that's probably yeah. something we should talk about in the episode. But
1: yeah, oh yeah, sure.
0: you made me want to go to Nepal.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful country. Um, just the landscapes, and but the people are the best part. Yeah. do we call it? I don't know, Dusty, do you want to talk about anything else?
3: You guys hit most of the stuff. I have my
0: little comments about what I thought was awesome. So, yeah.
1: Um, Went for a good hour, at least, I think. So. I, I'm, I'm right sure over. that we could go
0: for longer. Uh, I, I'm just conscious of your time oh. and uh, Dusty's uh, sanity. <laughs> Being <laughs> wakes early.
1: Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, no, that's great. This was fantastic. I really want to... Thank you, three. Uh, I love talking to People who've read the books—it's uh, really nice to talk to people who enjoyed them, especially. But uh, <laughs> I just love talking to people who read them, and and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to share your thoughts and ask me questions. And uh, you guys are doing a great job with your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. It's,
0: Thanks. Yeah, it's really great having you on. We we love talking with you. Uh, yeah, I yeah could could talk for I'm sure hours. <laughs> absolutely maybe in yeah. the Milazan episode yeah <laughs> and, and that I will really appreciate that yeah. will happen good I really appreciate like you said how clearly this is this is obvious with everything you say everything you do like you you are you are an ed, you've made the effort to educate yourself on like a wide variety of topics like a real renaissance man and uh-huh. I think it deeply enriches both the conversations and the books that you write and uh, do you paint tip the hat
1: i draw i used to draw a lot i painted a little bit i can't say i'm that great at painting but i i I got pretty good at drawing uh at a certain point in my life yeah Yeah.
2: and he called you a renaissance man
1: i know i know (laughs) i also don't play i I play a few musical instruments but none of them particularly well so well it's
0: subjective right
1: yes yeah but no i i i'm actually pretty bad I don't know if they even understand it. I'm not sure that we don't, do have yeah. a compelling scientific explanation for that.
0: But. At the moment, no. We don't. We know so little about the brain. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And consciousness. Nobody knows what consciousness is. It's what Some would
0: almost say it's a hard problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had mm-hmm. a uh, conversation with an old philosophy professor um, last weekend, actually, about that. He's of the opinion. He's he's of the fairly popular philosophical opinion that most philosophical problems are resolved once you just define your terms, and then you have some true mysteries that we probably will never solve. And consciousness yeah. is one of those.
1: I bet. Yeah, I I probably would agree with that. Consciousness. We're we're probably not going to conquer that one. Yeah. I, yeah,
0: I, I'm just, I'm definitely on the side of the fence as well.
1: It's a good thing to have some mysteries in 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 the universe still. You know? Hmm. Yeah and and there is
0: a lot I I feel like a lot of people become disillusioned um if they don't have uh a concrete religion and obviously it's fine if you do have a concrete religion but people who are more secular I think they lose that sense of wonder and for me uh, being totally secular myself or yeah, uh, yeah it, it's very easy for me to reach that state just you know looking at the ocean or yes yeah
1: yeah yeah, I, I, I agree, being out in nature, going for hikes, being in beautiful places, and also in context where you're able to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, Yes. Uh, where you, 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 I'm sure you, all three of you have had this experience before where usually through some act of kindness or uh, reaching some kind of understanding, you have this feeling that, uh, of, of just sort of the person leaps out at you almost. And, and you feel like you're them for a moment. And, and it's just this incredible feeling, you know, when you have that link with someone. Um, it's really amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I think really similar funny, yeah. to what happens in that meditative state in some ways. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Talk about promotion. I'm always sharing your videos because they're so good. Yeah.
1: Oh,
0: Yeah,
2: they are. People, people get annoyed by me uh more so ap but your videos too
1: well thank you yeah i'm I'm a fan of ap's videos myself um so and uh yeah we we started doing the uh what's that show called wheel of time ap and i are doing the wheel of time thing together um which means i get comments from really crazy people who are uh (laughs) massive haters of a show they're not even watching wild (laughs) Incredible, right? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't watch the show.
0: I doubt that I would like this show. Uh, yeah. But um, like the my answer is just not to, like, why would I, why would I spend my time on that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I was I was
2: quite ambivalent about season one. Um, I'm excited to watch season two, but I will refuse to watch anything. Uh, if it's released weekly, I'm gonna wait until they're all out.
0: Yeah. Same. I quite liked your um your NAP series on um Rings of Power. Yeah, Yeah. I
2: I really enjoyed those.
1: I think we're the. I don't know anyone else who was even like neutral to positive on that show. Uh, I'm sure there are. I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was
0: very good. Yeah, it was like obvious flaws with it, but
1: yes, yeah. I mean, but I don't think it was the quote the kids these days the dumpster fire that everyone you know was making it out to be um <laughs> yeah. there, were, there were a lot of people attacking that show who i know who did not watch the show
0: uh, mm-hmm. just um just entirely bad faith grounds a lot of the criticism feels like yeah yep yeah it's unfortunate okay yeah. wait for season Why 2 attack
1: it without watching it
2: um
1: do you like the wheel of
2: time so far this season 2
1: i i ap actually likes it more than i do um, and you can see that in our discussions. Um, mm. I think it's fine, to be honest, and I said this to AP as well, I have more fun talking to AP about the show than I have <laughs> watching the show. Um, okay. And I don't think it's terrible. You. I, I'm, you should know that I don't watch much television. If you know, this is the only thing I'm watching and the only thing I've watched since Rings of Power. Um, so I don't watch wow. much television and um we don't even have a cable or anything here i just watch it through amazon um but, um so i think it's okay i, I don't think it's uh, nearly as horrible as some of the hardcore fans of the books and not all of them but some some of the hardcore fans of the books do like the show mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them just decided they hated it uh because it's not exactly and AP has a lot to say about adaptations and yeah. how... Yeah, he does. You're not going to have a successful adaptation by... Uh, reread the books, if you, if you want them to be exactly like the books. Just reread the books, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. there for you. Yeah. Adaptation, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Nobody's taking your books. Um, it's okay, you know. Um, but yeah, we, most of the people who watch are Rings of Power and Wheel of Time are are similar in terms of they're not fanatics uh they're not uh you know they don't have they haven't made up their minds they're just trying to keep an open mind and and get what they can from it and the show is doing some actually very clever things Hmm. it's doing some really interesting things I, i actually recommend listening to um ap uh we've had two episodes we've talked about already one on my channel, one on his, and um, each talk is like a little over an hour. So it's like we talk longer than the show <laughs> is, but uh, but I ended up appreciating the show more after listening to AP's take on it. Um, so um, if you do watch the show, I, I do recommend listening to AP's take. Uh, and I'm there. I'm there too. So I'm the cynical guy. Yeah.
0: The next series I'm looking forward to uh, watching from you is uh, the Vinland Saga one you did with Murphy Napier.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was, that sort of opened me up to to manga, um, and I I suspected there were some great stories, but I hadn't experienced any of them. Mm-hmm. I grew up on comics, uh, American comics like X Men, Spider Man, that those were my favorites, but just lots of Marvel and DC, and yeah. um, so I was open to that kind of storytelling. And I know manga is different in, in some respects, but um but uh yeah it was fun. Uh chatting with Murphy. Uh we did Vinland saga, then Vagabond and we finished Monster. And now we're doing Two Year Eternity. Um so yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. I'm, gonna
0: have to, I'm gonna have to pick those up so I can so I can watch long.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well the thing about manga is they're very expensive. Um
0: yeah. That's that's kind of what turned me off in in, in the first place, but... Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, Some yeah. of them the anime is pretty close to the manga, like Monster, I guess, is very close to the manga, the anime is, and Vinland Saga, I think... Uh, I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's fairly close as well, so, yeah. I recommend this one. No, What's that? Okay, I can't read the Japanese. It's
2: um, Hayao Miyazaki's uh... Have you have you watched any of his movies? Spirited uh, Away, me. House Oh House yes, of course. Castle. of course. Okay, yeah. yeah. This is his manga based on, or the movie based on the manga, uh, and this is the manga.
1: It's very, very, very good. That's Spirited Away. You're saying It was based on that?
2: Uh, no, the director of Spirited Away, Hayao Miyazaki, did a manga, and this is that manga. It's a seven. Oh, volume. I see.
1: I see. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: Nice. Uh, it was his second. It was his first Ghibli movie based on this manga.
1: Oh, cool. Okay. Huh. Cool. Yeah. So what's the manga called?
2: Uh, Nausicaa? Na- Nausicaa? Oh, that's the one, eh? Yeah. Um, it's based on the princess from the uh, the Odyssey, the name from the Has Odyssey. it
1: been translated into English?
2: Yes, yes. I read it first in English.
1: Okay. And, and what's it called in English?
2: Nausicaa. I'll write it in the general chat.
3: Wait, is that the the Valley of the Wind?
1: Yes, yes. Naus- I Nausicaa. I really that oh week. i have heard of this yeah this has been recommended cool. to me yeah when you said the valley of the wind,
2: yeah 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 Nos- yeah i guess i should say the, the valley Noska of the valley of the wind or Naoshika of the valley of the wind
1: okay yeah yeah i, have- I don't read
2: manga but i love this book
1: <laughs> oh cool yeah you don't read manga and you're in japan <laughs> i
2: don't I, I, when I was in America, I, I read and watched anime and read manga some, like not a lot, but some. And then as soon as I moved here, I just like, I just stopped basically.
1: Okay. By the way, I watched some your, movies. How's your kid doing, by the way?
2: Oh, he's 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 doing great. He's he's good. really cute. He's really good. really 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 cute. Oh. Wow. Um, like I know I'm his I'm his daddy, but he's he's adorable.
1: I'm sure you're not biased in any way whatsoever, but.
2: Uh, Ash can tell you. He's, he's a cutie.
0: My um my uh, partner, she is... Whenever she sees a picture, she she really coos and says, I want one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you better stop
1: showing her those pictures. <laughs>
0: well, the, so the thing that I got, I, I got her a kitten a couple of years ago to kind of quell uh, the urges a little bit.
1: Here we go. But uh, we go. now he's kind of grown up, so <laughs> I've returned. Whenever she sees a baby out the street, she points them out to me.